It's a normal part of human existence to ask yourself tough questions. Tough questions in the, in the way of, why am I here? Am I doing what I'm called to do? What's the whole purpose of life? Those are normal, tough questions, and you're not strange for thinking them. Often we may block our lives with other things, but then there's those times in the wee hours of the night or maybe on a long drive, you find yourself reflecting on life's questions. We're going to be dealing with one of those questions, which is the title of my talk, and we'll be doing a series over the next three weeks on this topic. But one of those tough questions is this, what really matters? What really matters? It was John Ortberg who wrote the book, he talks about when it all goes back in the box. In essence, when this game of life all goes back in the box and we pack up all the pieces of our lives and it's all said and done, what, what really mattered? And you and I are not just modern individuals who think like this or come across these types of questions. There, there's biblical characters that I can deduce. They may have not asked the questions in the same tense and the same, using the same words, but it got to the heart of what really mattered. And we're going to look at a Bible character in David, King David, that is. And we're going to unpack what we see when he asks himself a semblance of this type of question. What mattered? He kind of pauses for a moment. You see, David is now king of Israel. He started off like a shepherd boy and he went on to become king. If, in essence, if David was in modern day times, we would definitely be watching a biopic on David. Three-part series on Lifetime, definitely. He has this kind of story where he started from the lowest of lows, overlooked by his father, and becomes king. After 10 years of running from Saul, who was the king at the time, and Saul got wind that David was the anointed king. He was going to be the one to dethrone him or take over his power. Saul's trying to preserve his power, and he wants David dead. So he goes after David for 10 years trying to kill him before he can become king. And at this juncture where we're going to read, he's about seven years solidifying his throne as king. And then we find this question that he has that changes the course of how he sees his life and leadership and even extending himself to someone. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Let's see what it says. It says, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king questioned, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel, where Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I'll surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. 
I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? And the king summoned Ziba, Saul stored, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Let me stop there. David publicly asks a question that's been plaguing him on the inside to some degree. Is there anyone still alive from the house of Saul, the person that was trying to kill me prior, is there anything still alive, anyone still alive from his house where I could extend, not just regular kindness, he says, God's kindness. Piercing question. If I'm going to draw a principle from this text, looking at his question that kind of reflects what's going on in his heart, the first principle would be this. There's more to life than success. There's more to life than success. Aiming for success is quite normal. In fact, the ethos of our culture is that. Success is often defined by wealth and by the amount of things you have, your accomplishments, your degrees, the honors, the likes, where have you gone, who have you studied with, so on and so forth. Where are your followers? How many followers do you have? How, many, how influential are you? And that's often the measure of success in, our, in the ethos of our culture. And aiming for success when you've been schooled along that line of thinking and you've come around that, aiming for success is quite normal. And I'm not saying any of those things. I'm not saying money's bad or I'm not saying getting a degree is bad. I would have done it in vain. I've gotten some degrees. Listen, all I'm saying is that that cannot be the fulfillment or fulfilling for you and think I've reached the pinnacle of life if this is my benchmark for success. Those things are external indicators that will always be unfulfilling. It'll never be enough. That can't be the plateau of what life is all about to get the next degree, the next degree, the next promotion, more promotion, the one job, the better job. That, that cannot be the totality of life. And all, all I'm saying is don't get caught up. There's more to life than success because David understood success. Even success according to the way we measure it, again, in the ethos of our society and our culture. David understood success. He did. 2 Samuel 8 lists a bunch of successes that he accomplished as king. It says he defeated the Philistines. He defeated the Moabites. He defeated King of Zobah. He defeated the Arameans. He defeated the Edomites, the Arnamites, the Arnam, all the ites and bites and fights. He defeated them all. He took over territories, expanded the breadth of the land. He put garrisons in different areas, a military presence in different areas. David understood what it meant to have a phenomenal resume as king. 2 Samuel 8 verse 13 goes on to even say, David became famous. It says David became famous. In essence, if David was modern times, there will definitely be paparazzi following him everywhere he went. TMZ would have had to drop on David. He would have been all over. He was well known. He was, he was all over the place and people knew him. They would sing about him. They sang songs about his victories and what he's done. And so he understood success. He understood fame. He's at the pinnacle of all this. And yet he found himself where I, I would gather a little bit of emptiness to say, is there anyone in Saul's house I can show God's kindness to? 
See, we all get to this place sometimes where that measure of success that you thought would fulfill you then One of my buddies was talking to me, said, Lionel, it was after I got my second master's and I had my dream job working with this professional sports team. He said, I remember walking through a hallway and it was one of the most unfulfilling moments of my life because I reached what I thought was, was going to fulfill me and it was empty. David reaches this level of fame and success. We all get there. We have two options when we're there sometimes. When we reach that emptiness or sense there has to be more to life, the, the, the first option is we can fulfill or fill life with more things of chasing and chasing and chasing the next goal, chasing the next promotion, chasing the next uh, comfort area of my life that I want to make more comfortable, chasing this, chasing the next vacation. Nothing wrong with those things, but if you're chasing those for fulfillment, newsflash, spoiler alert, they will not fulfill. Here's the second option, though. The second option when we feel that unfulfillment is to practice what some call the golden rule. What they're referring to is Jesus, Matthew 7, 12. The Passion Translation puts it like this. In everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you'd want them to treat you. For that is the essence of all the teachings of the law and the prophets. David moved off simply his successes, which were key to solidify his kingship, and moved to saying... Is there anyone I can bless in helping others? No longer all about David. No longer all about his victories. Is there anybody I can bless? Now here comes this character that he's going to look for through Ziba, who was one of the servants in Saul's. When Saul was at his regime, Ziba was there. Ziba's kept over. He's now with David. And he goes, Ziba, is there anyone around? And he said, there's Mephibosheth. And by the way, if you're going to have a child within this year and you want a good name that you know nobody, very unique name, nobody's going to utilize, Mephibosheth, go for it. I guarantee it will be the most unique name in preschool. Nobody's going to have it. Go for it. It's low-hanging fruit, Mephibosheth. We could call you Muffy for short, Bo, Shethy, whatever you want to be called. But we find this character, and the Bible describes him as such. He was one who had lame feet. In essence, he would have been of no, no good in that society. He would have been an outcast in that society. He had a disability that would have been glaring. Nobody would have looked to him. In fact, he's living in, in, a, in some obscure place that nobody goes after. Him having royal lineage would have actually given him an advantage to say, hey, maybe I can have some of the spoils of those that come before me. But that was not his case. He's living in a, some obscure place. And his grandfather was king at one time. He has a very low self-esteem about himself. How do we deduce that? Because in the passage, when he goes before David, he says, why would you even want to bless, essentially, why would you want to bless a dead dog like me? A dead dog. That's, that's, I mean, that's the lowest of lows. A dead dog can't even be a nuisance. They're just overlooked. A dead dog can't even bark and you're just tired of it. It just sit there to rot and be decomposed. And so he has this view of himself as one that's only good enough to rot and be decomposed and very loathsome and very shameful and very gone. He, he's, just, he's just there. He's just existing, not living life at all. And he gets summoned for the king. Now, I love the way David says, don't be afraid. He looks at him, he says, don't be afraid. Why? Because sometimes some kings, they look for the lineage of the king before them to kill them all off to make sure nobody would go after his throne. So that's why he tells him, don't be afraid. 
He had something else that was coming for him. When he thought he was going to get judgment, he got something totally different. Unexpectedly, he looks at him and he says, all of your grandfather's property is going to be restored to you. It's all yours. In essence, I'm going to bring you from the marginalized and give you a social uplift. Now you're a property owner and all the property is going to be yours. Then he does the second thing. He says, and you'll be able to sit at my table daily. Not once a week. Not once a month, not on special occasions. You'll be lame Mephibosheth that people wrote off, lame Mephibosheth that nobody remembered, lame Mephibosheth that it took David to do some prying to find out where he was, now becomes an individual, and that culture would have been a social uplift. Why? Because only the royal family, only those that are elite sat with the king. But now you come from that country boy all far off, all forgotten about, and now you have a seat at the master's table. And he can't offer David anything. He's lame. He has no ability to offer me. He can't even say, hey, fight for me and my army. He can't say, be one of my workers. He says, just the fact that you. What was his qualification? What was his qualification was the blood in his lineage. King Saul was his granddad. Jonathan was his father, which was David's best friend at the time. Just because of his, the blood lineage in him, Mephibosheth, was qualified for a seat at the master's table. Does that sound familiar to anybody? We don't qualify to be in relationship with Jesus. None of us are good enough to be in relationship with Jesus. None of us are, we're, we're coiffured, we do only good deeds, so God qualifies us. No, it's off, off the blood lineage of Jesus Christ gives me a seat at the master's table. I want you to see that Mephibosheth's story is a shadow of the gospel to come. That this Jesus is going to come, that while we're far off, it says, while we're not even mindful of him. Mephibosheth didn't go looking for, for David. David went, went to go looking for him. You see, we think we went looking for God, then you find out God came looking for you. It says while you were yet sinners, while you were yet far off, while you were yet not even mindful in your own nonsense, your own stuff, I still came stooped low and died for you and rose on a third for you. So don't think that you'll never be good enough. You won't. But I qualify you based on what? The blood. The blood. The blood. Mephibosheth's qualification was simply his bloodline. I need you to know we have a heavenly bloodline that qualifies us before a holy God. It's not because you're some great, it's not based on your performance. That's great. You want to put on a performance, go for it. It's based on grace that's extended to us. And it says, it's God. He said, I want, who, who is it that I could extend God's kindness? You know what's the difference between God's kindness and man's kindness? That we should try to emulate? God's kindness is, you can never repay him for what he's done for you. Not fully. It's easy, listen, it's easy to want to bless people that can do something for you. That's not even really blessing, that's networking. Blessing is, I want to bless somebody that you can't do a thing. You can't, Mephibosheth couldn't do anything for David. He gave him no extra authority. He didn't make it, he didn't go before everybody like, look what I did for him. He didn't use him as a badge, look what I did for this lowly individual. He couldn't do anything. He didn't deserve it, there was nothing in him. But that bloodline. We have that same bloodline, but we're learning in the person of Jesus Christ, but we're learning there's more to life than success. David's resume wasn't the fullness of what he was living for. Which leads me to my next point. Significance is greater than success. 
Significance is a whole different ballgame. Success is one thing. A person put it like this, not every successful person has significance, but every person who has significance is successful. Significance means meaningful. May your life be meaningful. May my life be meaningful. May it add value to society and everyone else around me. Significance means I live on a higher plane. I'm not just living for my own needs, my own wants, my own desires, which I'll break that down in a moment, but I live on a higher playing field. Significance in my mind is that security guard, Miss McCoy, when I was in eighth grade growing up in the inner city, and we were these youth that were running, making all types of trouble in, in the neighborhood, and they opened up the gym for us. In the evenings, they would have an open gym for us in the evenings, so we'll stay off the streets. And when they would open the gym, we thought we were going to play basketball. Little did we know Miss McCoy was there to teach us life lessons. She would gather a bunch of us around her, little 13, 14-year-old kids, and say, sing, uh, tell us life lessons about how to navigate life in order to succeed and to, to move on. That's significance to me. See, that, that, was, that was an impact that her paycheck didn't capture. That was significance to me. You see, significance was that college professor, and I was getting on her nerves effectively. I mean, quality nerve getting. Some of you have children like that. You know what I'm talking about. Quality. All the buttons. I knew all the buttons. I knew the passcode to push. And the reason why I was this arrogant 18-year-old kid that thought just because I came up from the inner city and made it to college in my eighth grade class, there was about, about 70 students. There was only about a handful of us that went to a college and uh, went to a state school. And we went, and I went to this school, and I'm thinking I'm some big shot. And she overlooked it. She saw me. She would put me in check a little bit. But I love the way she gave this assignment. Brilliant professor. Gave this assignment. I'm talking about significance, what it means. She gave this assignment to everybody else, and I thought, okay, I can do that. Because listen, listen, my GPA was not good in high school. No bueno. But my SAT score, strong. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Even when I was an honoring God, that, that qualified me for school. So I thought I made it. I thought I was some big shot. I thought I qualified to be there. She pulled me to the side. She said, Lionel, come over here. This is everybody else's assignment. I still want you to do the same amount of writing, the same paper and everything. You're just using a different book. Here's the book I'm giving you. And I don't forget, it was the book, The Pack, about the three doctors from North who overcame struggle in order to, like, assimilate through college and get through. She said, this is the book I'm giving you. I want you to do your paper on this. Little did she know that was God using her to speak to me to say, hey, what you're pursuing is empty. Education is not going to fully even solve that problem. You need an awakening in a real way. God was using that. You see, she could have easily wrote me off as another knucklehead, another troublemaker. But she said, no, I want to crack the case. And I'm going to serve and I'm going to love on this kid differently. Little by little, my heart warmed up to her. Family, what I'm saying is, in my mind, that's significance. Again. Her paycheck didn't qualify that for that. That wasn't in her job description to get another book, see how it aligns with the curriculum and give it to me. And she did it from a place of love. That's significance. You see, there's a difference between success and significance. There's a dichotomy. Let me unpack it for you. Success puts a focus on yourself. It's all about me and more stuff and more gathering and more goals that highlight more stuff and more gathering. Let me ask you this question. 
If God answered every prayer you prayed, would you and your family be the only ones blessed by that answered prayer? Or would there be a social uplift because your prayers were answered? Would your community be impacted because your prayers were answered? Would the nation be impacted because your prayers were answered? Would our church be impacted because your prayers were answered? It can't be all about self. And this, this can, anybody can fall into this trap, a Christ follower or not. It can be all about self. You see, that's success, but significance puts focus on others. Other individuals, David didn't look to bless somebody that can do something for him. He looked for Mephibosheth. Success is hoarder. The hoarder, the hoarding, I want more. I want more. I got to gather more. I got to go to the next level. I want to do this thing. I want to impress more people. I want to be able to post this on social media. They got to see that I had a great time in France. And so they got to do that. You didn't do it because you wanted to enjoy it. I, I want to go to, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. But you did it to impress others. All I'm saying is, listen, there's more hoarding. Significance is, I sh uh, not just hoarding, I share generosity, sowing into other lives. That's what significance is about, it's generosity. Here's what I've learned, I've been around millionaires, quite a few, I've been around quite a few millionaires, and it's not about who has the money and who doesn't. I promise you, generosity is more about the heart of the individual. It's like the other day, I was looking to, to I always look to mentors in different areas, I believe, and a good mentor can help expedite growth for you. And so I went to a mentor in the area of family and, and, and marriage and family and, and child rearing with my wife and I having a baby. And we spoke about it and we sat down. They took us out to, you know, we went out to dinner and I was willing to pay because they made time for me out of their schedule. And I was getting ready to pay. And I remember we're sitting there at dinner and he said something that was impressed upon my heart. He looked at me. He said, Lionel, put that away. He said, your money's no good here. I got it. He's not the richest person in the world at all. He said, he said no money, your money's no good here. I got you. It was at that moment I thought to myself, I should have ordered the filet mignon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. A little bit. It wasn't about the act it wasn't about the price of the meal. It was about his posture to say, I'm not looking to be blessed. I'm looking to be a blessing. Here's what I've learned. It's God's job to bless those who are more eager to be a blessing than just to hoard for themselves. That's what God does. Success is about wealth alone, and I'm not demonizing wealth. Nothing wrong with pursuing it. In fact, it, it says in Scripture and Proverbs that a wise man will leave wealth for his children's children. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it's not the encompassing motivation in life. It's about satisfaction. Significance is about satisfaction, not just accumulating more wealth. Am I content in what I do? Not making decisions strictly on, hey, it's going to get me more money. Making decisions based on, hey, this is going to draw me to my calling, my purpose, and contentment. Success is empty. Wanting more can get quite empty after a while. Significance is fulfilling. Success is temporal. It's only good for this side of the heavens. While significance is eternal, God sees it. I'm just trying to show you this dichotomy. That there's a way to look at life. 
And all I'm questioning or prodding you to do is do, be a little bit more reflective of how you're looking at 2020 and beyond. Is it simply about more and making my situation more comfortable or making my, my, my flow of life more comfortable or making everything around me more comfortable and attaining more things? Or is it about making an impact? Am I trying to impress people or am I trying to make an impact on people? That's what I'm saying. Filter what you want to do in your next move through this. Oprah Winfrey put it like this. She said, the key to realizing a dream is to focus not on success, but significance. And then even the small steps and little victories along your path will take on greater meaning. David discovered the value of significance. David impacts Mephibosheth's life. David goes to bless the marginalized and those that were on the fringes. It was David who said, I wanted to do that. And he learns what it is. Success wasn't going to be fulfilling for David alone. Yes, he still had to win battles. Yes, he still was going to be an effective king. But significance, I would argue, was his greater motivator and that turning point. Which leads me to my final point. Significance really matters. It does. Significance really matters. At the end of the day, David discovered something that most people don't. It's a tragedy to live our lives chasing success by the world's standards and miss out on significance by biblical standards. You see, you can dress for success, but you can't dress for significance. Success is public, significance is personal. You can project success, but you can't project significance. People know if you're making an impact. And so David gets that. And Jesus does something very rare in Matthew 25, where he aligns himself with the marginalized when he unpacks what he expects of those who follow him. He says, Matthew 25, 35, 36, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And they said, hey, when did we do this? In essence, when you did it for the least of these, you did it as unto me. He's making a case for the disciples and those that are following him to say significance is not just about your finances. It's not about making, it's, it's are you there for people? Are you there for where they are? There's a, there's a power in being there for people. It was Henry Nouwen, a great theologian and thinker. Henry Nouwen was a well-respected, is a well-respected man. He had all the accolades. He taught at Harvard and Yale and on some of the greatest Ivy League schools. He had an extensive resume and he said he felt God. God's leading to bring him to a, to a place where he lived around the mentally disabled. He lived with them. He said, I felt God calling me away from Ivy League into living with the mentally impaired. Into staying amongst them and spending my life there. And he's reflecting. He wrote it on his book. It's called In the Name of Jesus, Reflections on Christian Leadership. He's reflecting on this call. And he said, everywhere else before this, my resume was very extensive, so people respected me. So they respected the Ivy League teacher. They respected the professor. They respected my contributions to theological study and thought. 
He said, I was well respected. He said, it was my first time being around this group of individuals in this facility that he lived in. He said, no one could care less about his resume. They didn't even have enough uh, understanding to get what he did prior. He said, I felt so naked. He said, it exposed more about me than it did about them. He said, he said, one day, then he realized what meant something to them was this. One day, he took a speaking engagement, so he left the facility to go take this speaking engagement. He said he got a random call. All of a sudden, it was one of the individuals that he shared life with, one of the mentally impaired gentlemen. They called him and he said, Henry, why'd you leave without saying bye? He said, what they wanted from me was not my success story, but my presence. You see, significance is often, are you present for people? It doesn't have to come from your financial means, but are you present to grab that cup of coffee when they're going through a tough time? Are you present to answer that call when they give you a call? Are you present to text back and just say, hey, I want to hear your story? Or is it that you're always the one divulging on others and you're never there to be receptive and be a good listener and be a counselor for somebody else? All I'm saying is, where is this significance for you? Because your presence is powerful, ladies and gentlemen. A person put it like this, when it comes to understanding success, are you living for your resume or your eulogy? Do you just want to stack up your resume so it looks nice and polished and clean, and at the end of 2020, you can put all these great accomplishments? Or are you living for your eulogy, the quality of your life, the quality? See, when one day when somebody's in front of me and my casket's right here in this church, if God so sees fit that, I'm st that, that we're still here in this facility and my casket's right there, nobody's going to whip out my resume. They're going to talk about the quality of the relationships. What impact did you leave on them? The times you spent with them when, you were, when they were alone and lonely. The times you made them laugh when they were discouraged. The times you brought healing when they were wounded. The time you brought power when they were in pain. The times you brought wisdom in the midst of their wounds. They're going to remember those moments. They're not going to remember your successes and everything else. That's what they're going to remember about you. You see, on our tombstone, we all have two dates. The day you're born and the day you die, and there's a dash there. What are you going to do with your dash? Is it more success? Is it more accumulation of things? Is it keeping up with the Joneses all the time? Or is it going to be, I want to leave an impact, I want to be significant? That's been my conviction. Even when I'm preparing this message, my conviction is, Lord, I just need to be more significant. Not for my sake, not, not more performance, but for the sake of the gospel, Lord. May I show your love like the question David had. Is there anybody I can show God's kindness to? Not because I want the accolades. Not because so I can take a picture of it and post it on social media but because it brings honor and glory to God. Because it causes us to lift our very minimal plane of life sometimes from this, act, this, this focus on success to this focus on significance. God is not against anybody being well-known, having financial means. That's not what this message is about. He was simply against the thought that that's going to fulfill you. He was simply against the thought that the pursuit of that is healthy. 
He said, no, it's not. You can't pursue that alone. Pursue significance. Pursue making an impact. Pursue leaving a legacy for something greater. I promise you, if Christ church was to double tomorrow in the amount of people who comes, and we lost our significance as a family and able to connect and relate, I would care less about the number of people. I'd rather grow in density than grow in width. Nothing wrong with growing wide, but my hope is that we grow deep and wide. That the quality of our relationships, our significance, our calling is, is the focus is paramount over everything else. That's the hope. There was a gentleman that understand that. I'm mean, sorry, David, that gentleman, he understood that. You see, moving us to significance means we have a genuine concern for people. Moving us to significance means I have a greater capacity for compassion. Moving us to significance means I use wisdom with the resources that I've been given. The resource of financial resources, but also the resource of my time. Use wisdom. Donnie Smith is an individual who got it. He was a former CEO of Tyson Foods. And Donnie Smith said after walking away from 30 plus years of Tyson Foods, he was struggling what to do with his day to day. 30 plus years, CEO, very successful, walked in integrity, left a great legacy at that organization. Donnie was in search for a more meaningful life and it was at that moment that he called his family because he was seeking something greater than just success. He called his family together and he asked this piercing question with his wife and his children there. He said, what do you want the Smith family legacy to be? That's a good question. Those of you who are further along in life and have those adult children and everything else, one of the most powerful questions you can ask them is that. What would you want our legacy to be? After much dialogue and discussion, they came to these four conclusions. They said, we want to feeding the hungry to be our legacy, helping the poor, caring for at-risk kids, and leadership development. Donnie said when they went on and started the Smith Family Foundation, his focuses are those four areas that they outlined at that dinner table that day. Feeding the hungry, helping the poor, caring for at-risk kids, and leadership development. And I love what he said when it came to his level of focus and intentionality. He said, if I get an invitation that doesn't align with those four things, I don't take it no matter how much they're willing to give me. Because my goal at this season of life is significance and not simply success. Success. 